0: Welcome back to the podcast. It is good to be back and doing this. It's something that we absolutely love bringing to you guys. Um, Today's podcast is the first one of the season. We are running a little bit late, but we've got some amazing guests lined up for this year. It's going to be fantastic, better than ever. Today's podcast is brought to you by Chef Notepad. Calculate your food costs and manage your recipes. An essential tool if you are a chef or a restaurant owner. Check that out. So today's guest is Andrew Ballard, or AB, as he is known in the industry. This guy's a hunter, a forager, a gardener, a legend, an innovator, and he has a fantastic story. He's won amazing awards, Australian Professional Chef of the Year, and a multitude of awards, about as long as an A4. piece of paper that's how many awards this guy's won he's been in all sorts of competitions but let's sit back and get into andrew ballard episode number 68. okay so say your name and all that so we've got that record we are on
1: andrew ballard
0: No, you'd say your name andrew my name's andrew Ballard. beautiful and where are you from Culinary. beautiful what are you doing in brizzy (coughs) getting wet welcome to the broadcast (laughs) yeah look so you're here for um what are we here for regional flavours. Beautiful, regional flavours, that's what we're all yeah. about too. So uh, lovely wet weather. We're actually going to, uh, this will be out pretty quickly this podcast so people are going to be really um, able to uh, understand exactly what mm. we're talking about. So you have um, come all the way up from Victoria to um, a rainy Queensland it's supposed to be the sunshine state.
1: Yeah, look, I mean it is, with what you guys went through last month, I mean hey, it's 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 not, I think people are going to be comfortable, hopefully. I really hope they come out. Yeah, If they don't come out, we're going to be um, sitting there talking to the grass all weekend. A lot of these things
0: are are, are more difficult than ever, even though we're all excited about what it used to be. I think when we were just walking over to do this podcast, you said things are just not like what they they used to be, in that you can't assume that uh, the setup's going to be the same or anything's going to be the same. So you've got to cross your T's, dot your I's, and I think that's the
1: same for the community and the people who are coming to these events. I think, you know, with the, with the events relaunching, so we three years ago when the events, the events all cancelled, obviously, for obvious reasons, with the events all recommencing, I'm hoping that the public are gonna be super excited about coming. Yeah. You know, because I think they will be, like the feedback we're getting from, because we do this all around Australia, right, as you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think the, the public are going, they wanna get back out there, they want to sort of get to these events again. I mean, you know, the idea of cramming it looks, especially not regional flavors, because this is outside, but something like, you know, the Good Food Wine Show and those other ones that we do, they're inside. You've got 10,000 people coming through a building. Yeah. There's, I think it's about getting the public, uh, what's the word I'm after, the public um, uh, confidence to yeah. go into that building with 10,000 other people. And I think it's there, the people are like, we're ready to just do it, you know? Beautiful.
0: We'll yeah. set the scene here. We're in South Bank in the park. It's uh, We're in a little tent. It's uh, it's spitting rain. It's been raining all night, and uh, we're all a bit scared about the river coming up, like we said. Uh, there's a couple of birds there you can hear in the background, and it truly is a beautiful place, uh, more so when it's not raining. But, um, yeah, so here we are, and we're going to talk about you a bit today and where you come from and how you ended up being a complete rock star that sort of flies under the radar to a degree. <laughs> And um, I know that when I put a personal post up of Manu a long time ago, I never got so many rock stars commenting on. That guy's a legend. This guy's amazing. And I know you do a lot of work with people. And I know you're very humble. I'm, but um, you know you're 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 are you a Kiwi or Aussie? What do you the, Kiwi. We, yeah. All right, I'm a quasi. <laughs>
1: okay. I, you, know, it's, it's, you know, that's that's a good question. So I'm I'm look. Born and bred New Zealand, so I feel comfortable in this weather right now. Right, <laughs> I yeah, this is—I like, yeah. was saying to the guys yesterday down in the, down in the kitchen. I was saying, I feel like I'm at home because in, in where I come from in the Waikato, it starts raining in March and it stops raining in November. <laughs>
0: right, yeah. Literally,
1: like it'll just. But look, I moved to Victoria with my family, fifteen no longer seventeen years ago, and I travel backwards and forwards with work. And we were doing a competition uh, in New Zealand where I was I was representing New Zealand because I, I love cooking competitions. Um, right now people uh, are going no no groaning. i want to talk to you about the difference between cooking competitions and cooking in uh, yeah restaurant oh, so, but- um so so we were over there doing that and then i got stuck there for three and a half months and i came to a conclusion over there and this is gonna sound terrible if anyone in new zealand ever hears this podcast i think i consider myself more of an australian now oh because i just felt a little bit out of place whereas i and i came to when i flew back into victoria it was like Decompress. I'm home. Mm. You know, it was like all of a sudden it was, and so I think, I, yeah, I absolutely, I might, <laughs> I might be a, uh, a a New Zealander living in Victoria. I think it's AB, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look,
0: I'm I'm proud of that. To call you an Australian mate, you you uh, do some amazing work. Let's tell some people what you do. What's on your agenda? Twenty weeks a year uh you're away from
1: home is that right yeah so, so well have you got a pool pandemic? cleaner just checking nah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 20 weeks away from Luckily, home I've got a
1: wonderful wife. um no so, yeah so we we travel like so we hop on planes and we travel to these events like regional flavors good food and wine show uh we used to do tastes we do we did noosa last time and all these amazing events that they run cooking events and we are kind of the team behind the scenes that does all the kitchen work so the chefs turn up they've sent me their recipes we've made sure all the usual you know, costings and whatever else, make sure everything matches and is what the what the organisers want. And then we do all their prep. They, they with what we offer, they can turn up, check their prep, walk on stage, do a demo and everything's done. The only way I do that, Sorry, I no, no you problem. do your thing. Um, the only way we could do that is I hire, I hire actual who rock stars. So my guys are coming out of some of the best kitchens from around Australia and I fly them into these things. And now it sounds a little bit sort of, why are we flying people from Victoria into Brisbane to do the job? it's just, this is what we do. We've developed a bit of a niche in the market for these big events and doing uh, demos for, uh, I don't like the term celebrity chef, and I think most of the guys wouldn't like it either because, you know, celebrity's not really the right term for them, but for chefs who have a, a, a social... That's right a on. really good point, actually, because that really does almost begraves the them. Con- almost, yeah, it has days. a negative connotation. These guys, I say to when we have temporary staff come in or we have students coming, because we lo- I like to get students involved to give them an the opportunity to see something different other than yeah. restaurants, because what we do is very different. You know, we're sitting up in a tent, right? Yeah. And I say to them, don't ask for photos because we don't want to bother the guys for photos. Don't ask, don't don't bring your books and ask for signatures. I'm sure the chefs will instigate something, but just realise they're just chefs, right? and ask them questions and get involved with them. And these guys, you know, your you Gordon Ramsay's, your Matt Moran's, like all these guys who are like very, very, very uh, influential chefs, but they're also very, very uh, uh, knowledgeable chefs. You know, and, and, and at the end of the day, they are just chefs. They just want to cook, right? And they just happen to be, have had this limelight thrown on them. And and, and that's not necessarily celebrity, you know? It's like, I think, the public, how do I put it, the public uh, infatuation with chefs has just led to this, uh, this. I don't know, it's, a, it's a freight train, isn't it? I was sure when we started doing this 15 years ago, yeah, 15 years ago I've been doing this now, I was sure this was, this whole gravy train was going to fall over, the gravy train's not the right term, but yeah, it was going to fall over within five years, mm-hmm. it was going to be over, but it just seems to continue gaining steam, people are just Infatuated is a good word. They're just mm. infatuated with cooking and chefs and the way we act and the way that we kind of. I think it's the non filter. You know? It's mm. the non filter. Like I said to you before we started this, I'll, I generally will swear like a train. Yeah. People are a bit more accepting of it when they're on live TV and a chef says fuck or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, oh, okay, well, he's just a chef. Like.
0: Well, that's what we were talking about before, that book from the gentleman, I can't remember, where he writes the kids' books and he has different words for swearing. I'm thinking that we could make that up for a kitchen right now, in fact, that we could think of words that instead of saying, oh, "Oh." mandolin. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So that's a a bit of a challenge for us. (laughs) So just through this podcast, when you want to say truck, you could say. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 so uh anyway no no we're allowed to swear in here uh mate it is amazing what you do you do some of the biggest events so you i've i don't know, i can't remember where we met can you
1: uh i think i needed i can i need a her samfer in the brisbane show and i asked al mcleod i said who's got Samfer?" and he said phone graham and you know, i think you came in with this massive bag of sample and i think i needed like 50 grams yeah it's um and now you do i was saying to the guys this morning when we we're getting ready i was saying I'm, I'm i'm quite stoked about having a chat to graham because yeah because i think you're the rock star of, i'm not just saying it i think you're the rock star of fruit and veg in australia because you're the wow you know well thing is you know i phone you up i've got a show in perth you're based here in suncoast and i say i need xyz i send you this massive list with some quite weird requests sometimes and some quite I need 30 grams of this particular ingredient because this chef's only doing one demo and he only needs 30 grams. And you phone quite often a multitude of of small suppliers in Perth and a range and it just appears and it's always uh, what I said to them I said you must have some real pull because every time I think they stock and they go oh Graham's place the order better make sure it's actually on point so yeah yeah. no you
0: know what it is I say Andrew's place the order you you better get it right (laughs) oh pass off Um, no 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 it is it is it's actually a real pleasure and we've built up some really amazing contacts around the country and even the world actually and um, it is a real privilege to be able to do what we do and just to be able to connect, you know, growers, and that's what Regional Flavors is about, mm. you know, trying to uh, encourage that a little bit more and be that facilitator. People have called, called us middle middlemen
1: and all sorts of things, but, you know, we like to think we add value to the whole process and, and make make sure it's easy. Like and, Al uh, McLeod asks for Morton Pineapples, and I phone up and say, well, I've seen the audience, Mort- I know that they're going to be Morton Pineapples, right? right. And he, he has, has a certain it. expectation that what he places, he's going to get. Yeah. You know, and so you can't just, I can't just... Phone up any providor and ask for that because most of them will say, "Well, I don't know where I'm going to get that." Yeah. So, yes, how did you get so experienced? In this you started
0: off uh, in, a, in 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 New Zealand uh, working as a chef and um, uh, misspent youth, I read somewhere. Then it's um, understatement understatement. Then then now you're actually. Um, a real fantastic example of what I reckon humans need to be, you know, to a to a degree. You probably fly too much, but you know, you, you hunt food, you grow your veggies, you got your, your pizza oven slash bread oven in your backyard. Correct me if I'm wrong with that. No, you And um, you got a beautiful family, three kids. You can kick ass because you're a black belt. Just a reminder to all your staff there. <laughs> um, you know that. Um, and, and, and you're living this wonderful life. Tell us about that life because I love the idea that you're going out hunting for venison and you grow on your own stuff. And this is such a romantic thing and I think it's something that we all should do more so we understand food better than anyone. And, and then you get to work with these people and
1: sort of tell that story through that. So all food is a story, right? Yeah. That's that's the end of it. Like, so we like to with with social media, we like to tell stories now. Right? We can put the stories out there that otherwise wouldn't have gone out there, mm-hmm. you know, with the, with the Instagram posts and whatever else. But look, so I have a really. I'll start off by saying I've got a really really weird diet. I don't know if I've actually told you this before. <laughs> my actual what my diet is. So about at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were still allowed to go hunting because they cancelled it in Victoria in the middle, which was quite difficult. I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this six month stage where I'm going to try and only eat meat and animal proteins that I've personally taken the responsibility for dispatching. Yes, And it's nothing to do with veganism or, like veganism or anything like that, it's just simply I saw and wanted to go, I have a personal belief that if you, with an animal, if you don't think you could kill it, I'm not saying you have to, yeah. but if you don't think you could do that difficult, yeah, part of that cycle in order to eat meat, then you don't really have the right to be eating the meat. And I'm not—I'm not by no means my saying everyone has to run around and actually, you know, kill their beef or whatever. Like, but I'm saying that if push come to shove, if you don't think that you could actually do that, then you really sort of don't have the. You now, I understand that most people are squeamish about it, and it's the misunderstanding is that hunters enjoy killing things, and that is such a misunderstanding. It's a very difficult process, you know. And and so I did that for six months, and I thought, you know what. This is actually kind of cool, you know, because I like hunting. I like getting out in the bush. Uh, my son started hunting. My, my young son, he's just turned sixteen. Yeah. Um, we both bow hunt. Not particularly fond of guns, personally. Just for me, personally. Yeah. So, and then uh, what was really cool was like, so when we went out, um, and the l- one of the last times we went out, and he's, he's really sort of getting into it. He's got his bushcraft down, and we got a pig, and so we got the pig, and I sort of asked him. I said, you know, how do you feel about this? Because it's. How do you actually feel about the fact that this, this animal was, and he, he sort of, without me instigating anything, he, he sort of went, well, you know, it's what we have to do in order to have the meat, right? You know, it's what we have to, that's, and it's, it's that, it's an understanding of where it comes from. Now, if everyone starts hunting, then I'm never going to get anything to eat, right? So I'm not going to <laughs> run out there and go hunting, but, but it is, it's one of those things that it's, it's, it's difficult, but rewarding because then you have much more of a respect for that animal and where it's come from and that meat. And you're gonna wanna use the whole thing. And and, and it's like most hunters are actually conservationists. They're not just, we want to protect the space that we've got. We only hunt pest animals. They are destructive. The animals we hunt, the pigs and the deer are destructive to particularly the Victorian bush. Like it's really scary what the pigs are doing out there for instance.
0: So the ideology has sort of changed in that we imagine hunters as yobos, almost like the ones on crocodile dundee 100%. you know where they're out firing guns in the back of you yeah, drinking yeah, beer we and i'm hoping and i but mikey LeBroy had this similar conversation where he said that's changed, and there's a lot of responsibleness, and we're we're shooting animals, and we're using the whole lot, and we're doing the right thing. So I think it's it's it's
1: more cool to be a hunter than ever because we're becoming more of responsible. A, yeah, responsible. I mean, if you people. jump on the the chat pages for hunters, for instance, you know what one of the most common conversations is shot placement, where you place that shot. Yeah. And that quickest, tells you fastest, yeah, to, to, yeah. To, to 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 cause least uh, least uh, trauma to the animal. Yeah. Yeah. Of course that by saying that you want to cause your maximum trauma because you want it to be fast and quick yeah um but that's one of the most most uh, prolific conversations that happen on those 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 uh, streams and that says that people are thinking about you know the the, anim- the welfare of the animal and 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 how it you know how it passes away so yeah, yeah. look i mean and then to to, to to cap that off i have a massive veggie garden and i grow as much as i can at the moment it's a bit of disarray because i've just been so the run i'm on with shows is just crazy we've got 11 weeks where i'm only at home for one of them yeah you know so i've just been but generally speaking i try i try to grow 100 percent of the vegetable content i eat as well mm. um and supplement with a few bits and pieces um but at the moment it's, it's, with what we're doing you know you have to you do what you can you know uh yeah uh, for me it's easy as well because i have an industrial kitchen attached to my house <laughs> so <laughs> Which we built, we built to train for competitions. Yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah. I have this 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 big kitchen, which you know I can process. We make our own kimchi, and we do. Look, it it sounds all romantic. Scarlett wants romantic. to ask. What do you want to ask, Scarlett?
0: I want to ask your kimchi recipe. Uh,
1: uh okay. it's pretty easy. You make well, yeah. It's a it's a paste which is made from the uh, the shrimps and the chili and the. I'll get it to you, oh, <laughs> you make this paste, you make, this paste, this, hey, you make this paste, you cure, the, you, you salt the the, the the vegetables and then you basically strain and drain off and wash all the vegetables, and you put this paste in between all the leaves, let it sit, I, the first time I made it I thought it was going to take ages, three days I had yummy kimchi, yeah, right, yeah, so, yeah. it cost um, you 90 bucks for this clay pot to put them in, which has got like the little water seal across the top, you bung it all in there and make sure it's weighted down with these bricks that go inside, and you just leave it for three days from a hygiene perspective anything that we should be concerned about with that
0: well no because no. i think a lot of people are scared of that as long as, 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 as long like, fermenting
1: thing going yeah, on yeah yeah well yeah. my my wife is she won't touch it yeah right. she's, she's like if i wanted to eat rotten food i was... yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say that she'll <laughs> probably hear <laughs> <anything> and, <you laughs> oh it's you know what like i actually that you know yeah it's, it's but the same discussion i was having with another chef of mine the other day and i said i think that's the difference that why chefs live so long is because of the different things that we eat. You know, we don't tend to eat, we won't eat like a mince pie for lunch every day. It's like if I have something to eat more than uh, twice in two weeks, I'll be like, well, that sucks. So it's eating the kimchi and then you have, I don't know, like your, your kombucha for your lunch. Where like those fermented foods are really good for your gut. They are mm. really good for you. And I think chefs tend to have, well, chefs who are passionate tend to have a more varied diet. Mm. So things like the kimchi are just... Uh, yeah they're 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 they are good for you they are
0: sorry no you're right no they are great um we were going to talk about because we had chat on the phone the other day about um you know uses of vegetables where they get a different sort
1: of respect to meat traditionally and um yeah yeah look that goes along with the whole hunting gathering thing as well yeah i think a part of that process is obviously a lot of what i eat is become less meat centric and more vegetable centric because of it yeah and that's I mean I've always I've I've grown vegetables since I was an apprentice so I've always had lots of vegetables in my diet we were lucky when I was when I was an apprentice we moved into this house and this old guy retired he had two greenhouses and these two massive plots of land in New Zealand um, that we I just sort of went oh you know what something to do on the weekends and I started growing and I haven't stopped and what we were talking about the other day with the vegetables was the fact that I think most people with their vegetables have such a limited scope of uh, what they are able to cook that it becomes difficult to eat um, a, a varied diet with just vegetables or with lots of vegetables and I think that's where we need to change people's mindset that that you don't have to take so a mushrooms a good example right so most people will take a mushroom they'll bung it in a pan and saute it with some some oil that's the only thing they know how to do with a button mushroom we just use a button mushroom most simple of all vegetables that's the only thing they know how to do so it's like oh that's boring button mushrooms are boring because you can only just do it and put on a bit of toast right oh, What add yeah, I- butter well, yeah, everything takes better with butter, right? <laughs> Clearly, I mean, look at my waistline. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, I think expanding people's exposure to what you can do with that simple, simple butter mushroom. You know, you can take that, dice it, cook it off like you were doing, smaller, then blend it up with some cream cheese and herbs and you've got like a pate. It's like, you know, it's, it's a simple process. You've had it, anyone can do that, and you've just got some add value to that ingredient.
0: What is that fear with people? Like, we, you know, everyone's coming here this weekend, they'll watch these cooking demos, and some of them, they're probably the there
1: yeah they think it's magic they, they, they it's do not think magic it's a ma- they do think it's a magic yeah. show it's, don't it's, it's not magic it's 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 you, you're taking something and you're trying to bring the best out of it that's that's my job as a chef right and then people look and go oh he made that really delicious it's like well all i did was add some salt and some cream cheese and herbs for that pate for instance yeah. that's all i did yeah anyone can do that
0: yeah and using good ingredients right from the start means high nutrition
1: Good for yeah. your body. You and that's that. the key, right? That's, I mean, especially with like, like what you do, you know, the freshness of the ingredient, everything. It's like the people, and then, the yeah, the other thing, that's the other thing. They go to the supermarket and they buy their mushrooms and they're four weeks out of the, I don't know, four weeks out of the packet or out of the farm, I should say, uh, and and it's boring. yeah, And it's not tasty and it's not nutritious and it's not going to be uh, as good as it could be. So like you say, quality of the ingredient is obviously, we know it as chefs. yeah. My job is to buy good ingredients and bring the best out of them. What does that say? Raised around food. So you were raised.
0: Your parents raised you around food yeah. and encouraged you, or did you just go straight and learn it? I've never seen my
1: mum cook in my life.
0: Oh, I actually love that because it proves that that theory isn't right. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I would want to encourage everyone to try and teach your kids to cook. But if you haven't got it, you can go from scratch. So that's well,
1: I, that's your point. Is that what you're yeah. trying to get there? What, yeah, yeah. what I was what I was lucky with is my dad did all the cooking, right? okay uh, there's two sh- I've got another brother who's a chef as well um, but what he he cooked basic he doesn't like cooking he hates it but it was something he had to do and because we weren't well off so to say we weren't poor but we weren't well off uh, he had to make do with what he could get with this I've got a lot of brothers yeah we're all big we're all my size mm-hmm. and so he would we were like unlike so my wife's family grew up with meat and three veg on the plate every day seven days a week right we had Kedgeri and we had curries and we had you know meat, american style meatloaf and veg we had so we had but it wasn't necessarily um, all fancy, it wasn't fancy food it was pretty basic ingredients you know it was always potatoes onions mince but just i think dad had to get inventive so although we didn't have great food we always had a varied food if that makes sense yeah sense that to does. Us. yeah no, that's good so you know, that- That's the box it up, doesn't it?
0: I feel like that's the key difference because I have friends that grew up with parents that didn't cook and they still don't really know how to cook. Mm. Whereas I grew up with, you know, Graham and he he showed me how to cook and he he'd always get me in the kitchen doing things and now I really enjoy it. But once again I think there is people who haven't done grown up with that who can always pick it up as well.
1: Mm. Look, when I first—I remember as an apprentice—I hated olives. I hated hummus. I couldn't stand uh, feta. Uh, anchovies were a no-go. Like because I hadn't had that in my diet. Right now, if I didn't have those ingredients, I'd leave a really boring. That's the out. only ingredients. Yeah, 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 like <laughs> there's like other ingredients. If, when we, when in, my, exactly, <laughs> in my house, when we eat, there's always you know like I think it's an Australian thing as well, right? So we never used to do it in New Zealand, but there's always olives on the plate. Yeah. You know, table. We we like to eat. That's the way we eat. We picky. Yeah. We don't like necessarily have a plate full of food. We sort of. Yeah, you know that's because it's a nice way to eat, right? It's an interactive way to eat. You get the kids around the table. when my kids, my kids are all grown up now, but they're all, like your age. Um, but you know, you get the kids around the table and you have a chat and a talk. And a, yeah, um, our kitchen table when 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 our kids were young was always we had a saying. You know, there's no taboo subjects. You know, there's just everyone can you can say what you want around the table, and the food becomes the uh, convo, the con the conduit for that. You know, it becomes yeah. the the lubrication for a you know, yeah. so to say. It sounds a bit tacky and a bit corny, but it does. Like, the concept of actually getting your hands in the same bowl and actually having an olive and picking it, and that is a good way. People feel more comfortable, they open up a bit. Mm. That's what we need here, we need a bowl of olives. In the yeah, milk, I, I nearly it. did by bring a croissant but
0: on the way here, but anyway. Hey, last year you won Australian Professional Chef of the Year. Is that true?
1: Was that last year or the That's year this before? Year.
0: Oh, it r- says twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, yeah no, so so um, twenty. It says twenty twenty one. So yes, Australian Professional Chef of the Year twenty twenty one. But it's because I think they'd already had all the jackets branded up and stuff. To say <laughs> because, <laughs> so it was in twenty twenty two. It's the twenty twenty one competition. In fact, tomorrow, tomorrow, and the next day, they're running the Queensland. I suppose uh, uh, the Queensland sort of uh, thing of that competition. So they run a Queensland Chef of the yeah. Year, and they have a National Australian Chef of the Year as well um it runs through the food service events yeah uh, which is running this weekend as well as good the, the, the food if you're a foodie if it wasn't like amazing weekend to be in brisbane yeah you know? uh, so yeah. where is that that's that's so we're this the oh that i i saw yeah, right, right now out. this, week, yeah, this yeah. weekend yeah so it runs yeah. on sunday sunday monday sorry um yeah so look it's it, it's kind of funny because I, I i do like we were saying before i do a lot of competitions Yes. yes. I okay. Let, let me just say something. I have an app on my phone that reads
0: stuff to me when I'm driving and reads just reads to me. So it got to the competition part of what you've done, and it just <laughs> I thought it was repeating. It just kept going and going, and it was a list as long as my arm of all these competitions you've been in and won and and all the rest. But yeah, so I do want to talk about the competitions and then uh how you how you do it maybe some of the different types of ones you've won where you where you've been able to travel because of that and then i want to talk about the differences
1: between that and and cooking in the and, yeah so okay so look when i was a student i did my first competition got hooked it's this real rush you get out there you're cooking your own food in front of people who are uh, some of the best in the industry they're sitting there it's you know giving their feedback on how you they think you cook and more well, not more, but equally as importantly, how you work. You know, that's that's the key piece to the competitions because they're watching you cook this food from scratch. They're looking at your wastage and they're looking at how you store things. They're looking at how you chop, how you clean your bench down, how you set. Like all these things, we uh, best case scenario. They're looking at best case scenario, right? What should be best case scenario, and you have to perform to that level in front of people who are extremely demanding. You know, like I mean, a point in case I remember we, you know, we did uh, uh, a while ago with the Boca store and Tissuro Wakado was one of the judges you know what i mean and my commie literally was you could see him he's like this he's shaking violently because it's like you know this guy who's this god of cooking is standing over and watching him slice an onion for instance you know it's yeah. just like it's quite daunting you know um so i did it as an apprentice i continued doing it right the way through my career i had about a five-year hiatus in the middle and then when i arrived in australia um there's there's some amazing competitions in australia and i got more active in it um you know and then we we did Oh, I mean, yeah, it sounds like I'm blowing blowing smoke at my own. No, but do I, oblige,
0: I, I was in the Golden Chef's. So there you go, I blow some smoke. Now you feel better. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So the gold, the Golden Chef's that's a good competition for yeah. apprentices. It's an amazing I've a, competition. I got a gold medal and a bronze medal. Wonderful. I mean, and the thing is, is that something to I, like. I now I coach as well as I coach young chefs as well as competing myself. And I'm I'm old as far as the competition chef is concerned. But the thing is, is I still really enjoy it, and I want to set an example for those guys. that it's something you can do right the way through and they're now in the more serious competitions. So we did, you know, 2018, it was uh, the most outstanding Chef 18 and 19, Chef of the Year, uh, the real jewel in my cap, the one I'm most proud of, is I did Boku Store for New Zealand as their candidate. Uh, 2018 and 2020, I was selected against it twice in a row. We were supposed to go to France, and I ended up sitting in a hotel in New Zealand for three and a half months, because we got locked in the country. So watching, for anyone who knows the Boku Store and how big that competition is, it's like, a football match. You've got like 5,000 people in these bleachers. Drums, it's literally, imagine the sound you get in a soccer match. Mm. That's the sound. People screaming at these 12 kitchens cooking down the front. It is the most intense environment you've ever seen and you're cooking in the middle of it. Uh, And then that competition in particular, the Boku store is, uh, it's considered to be like the Olympics for chefs. And it is, the the best description I can give of that competition, which is like the the pinnacle of competing, is it is to cooking or high-end cooking what the catwalk is to fashion. So, as a part of that competition, the kitchen I talked about before, my industrial kitchen, I built that specifically to train for the Boker store. That was its only purpose, was to train for this competition. That's how serious people take it. And no one in Australia really knows about it because we've never been on the podium. And it's like the America's Cup, right? No one's gonna give a shit about it until we get on the podium, and all of a sudden it'll be the world's biggest thing in Australia. It's fairly Australian. But if you look at the the history of the Australian people who have competed, you've got Luke Crosston, you've got, Uh, Dan Arnold who's here, you've got uh, George Columbaris, you've got some of the most influential names in food in Australia, have developed their thinking behind how they cook from competing in the Boca Store. So when you compete there, it's two years of solid training to get to France to to cook for five and a half hours. Yeah. So you you, you train almost as a full-time job for two years, well I did, I treated it like a full-time job, for two years just to get there and cook in front of these guys. And and what happens, you get there, there's 24 countries selected around the world. They all send one candidate and their commie or a junior chef uh, and a coach who stands on the outside, much like a coach and a sporting team. And you sit in this box, you're not allowed to leave the box. You have to have brought in all your equipment, all your food, and you have to cook the food, which is not just good, it has to be the best food in the world, literally. And if you look at the food that's cooked there, it's uh, not Don't think for and Adria uh, uh, as far as you know experimental, but it's creating new techniques for cooking food that's de- at the end of the day, delicious food, because 50% of the marks come from how your food tastes. So it's how you cook, it's how you prepared it, and then it's most importantly, how good does it taste on the plate? And Australia's up against it, right? So Australia, com- comparatively, their budget is, I don't know what their budget is, but their budget is is, is under a million dollars, for instance. The Danish teams, um, who have won it copious amounts of times, people like uh, Rasmus Koford from, from Geranium, he won it three times. Oh, no, sorry, he won bronze, then silver, then gold. Only person to ever do it. Uh, they are funding $20 million into this competition per candidate. They, they are just, they, and, and, they, and they're all government funded. The government gives them that money because they see the value. And if you have, so Rasmus Koford, for instance, how many people does he bring into Denmark? Mm. as far as as far as tourism because because they want to go to his restaurant or they want to yeah. go see him do a demonstration like they see the value in that yeah um australia once they once we achieve something in that competition because i now, you know i now that i'm back in australia i'm sort of throwing everything i can behind the australian team as far as you know just, just do you want equipment here's whatever support i can give them yeah. to help them who's in that team uh this year alex mcintosh is the candidate he's from geelong um, I helped judge it. I judged the, 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 the nationals that they just held, and he did an amazing job. And then a very good friend of mine who's actually working in one of the kitchens down here, Paul Golding, got second place. Uh, he And he's he's gonna be a force to be reckoned with with that competition in the future as well. Um, so, I know I'm going on about it a bit, but that's the real jewel. As far as competitive cooking, that's the real jewel in my cap. Yeah, yeah. And the irony was, I came back from, where I was going with the story in the beginning was, I came back from New Zealand after being stuck there for three and a half months, after watching the competition online, uh, with two million other people watching it online live. I'm sitting there watching it with my empty box that I'm supposed to be cooking in in France, looking at it going, <laughs> that really sucks. Um, and then I came back here and it's like, okay, cool, I'm just going to do a comp- I'll do another competition. I'm not in fr- like I wasn't intending on doing Chef of the Year. I thought, okay, cool. Uh, Email Peter Wright who runs it and said, hey, is there any spots left?" He said, yeah, cool, we'll chuck you in there. Um, and because I think I was so relaxed and wasn't really thinking about the competition too much, I just I had a blast with it I was because that one's a little bit different it's a mystery box you given a box of ingredients ah, that, that's fun yeah. yeah it's so much fun so you can't plan anything right you yeah. just go in with your toolbox with yeah. your, with your simple knives yeah and a few little maybe some interesting bits of equipment you can do something interesting with if it comes into your head and they give you a box and you've got one hour to prepare two dishes two covers of each yeah. and it has to be worthy of three-hat restaurant yeah and it's a great fun competition and so I just went in there and you go through these rounds where it's elimination rounds and each round, I was just having more and more fun, and it was just like I was having a blast. And then, uh, yeah. And then, and iron the irony of it is that the competition I put the least work into, is is that's that was the big one, you know? and it's creativity uh, could actually come out. Yeah, because I was relaxed. So yeah, I was yeah. relaxed and having fun, and yeah. Um, yeah. So, what's
0: the difference between a competition thing you'd put on the plate and a restaurant for me? Uh, restaurant
1: cooking, nothing good for, for me. Zero. And the reason why I say that, and that for most people, yes. Uh, People, a lot of hardline chefs will go. oh, competitions are a waste of time. But w- what it teaches you, like I said, when you're competing, it's best case scenario. Yeah. Now imagine if you can take that best case scenario, and after two years of training for a competition, it's so ingrained in you that that just becomes the norm. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So think. Don't think about one competition. Someone competing in one competition yeah, isn't going to pick that up. Yeah. But the repetition of constantly competing, your way of working becomes so i'm not I'm not claiming that i'm the best case scenario i'm just saying that yeah. it, that working like that constantly it becomes who you how you perform you know so when i set up in a normal kitchen like we're down here yeah we're doing all the mise en place i still this you know you've got your board there you've got your wiping cloths. you've got your tastings and it all gets lined up and lo- as if i was about to compete in competition that's how or, i cook or do an operation and every yeah and every job i cook wipe down and go now does that reflect in the rest of your
0: life or can you be you know, you walk in and it, it it is when it's game on, isn't it? So, yeah, you have to prepare for it. You have to get your mind ready. You have to have enough coffee to get there, but not too much coffee and and get right on and walk in. And I think that that's um, a, a fantastic discipline. It's something I love about being a chef. And I think it's been a part of my, um, you know, my let's call it success. If you want to, you know, after I left chefing and, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that can lead you down the garden path uh, in chefing with um, Bad stuff as well, but I think that the traditional discipline, which I learned off a of French chef, Jean pierre Rodet, and uh, he made me neckerchief every day, and that discipline, which you hate, a little bit like karate kid almost, that that gets you in a mindset that you can do anything and and be amazing in that moment, can reflect and be awesome it's in your life, because. You know, the people who have put in the work, you know, I I talk about Jo Barrett a lot and, you know, her ability to do that. And then she turns into just, she's she's also the coolest person in town. And so she's got this thing where she's just being disciplined. And you look at her and she's living in that, you know, she was living in the the fridge, food. food, She's living this great looking life. But I know how hard she worked, just like you trained and did so much work. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that uh, being a chef and having that as a career is a fantastic thing. It makes you be able to do things and you're the absolute top of the game in that you can go to any city, any town in the world. We have been, we were crawling on the ground to find an extension cord to plug this thing in today to make sure we had power to do this. Your ability to be diverse is absolutely such, something that I've really admired. I'll tell you one of the things that you do really, really well. You make me feel wonderful because you when you send me a message, it's like it's a you know, it's like a privilege for you to get stuff off me, and your Texas is so polite. I think a lot of people could probably <laughs> learn from that. And um, and you know, hey, uh, da, da da da. That's you know, get and- more bees with uh, what is it? You get more bees with honey. Is that the same? <laughs> yeah, Some of that? Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's something that also I think you learn with a certain amount of respect and discipline in kitchen. So
1: you know, you, you are a really great example of all that stuff. I think, like you're saying about the skills that you learn in a kitchen, I've got all sorts of friends who have gone on to, most chefs, let's be honest, most chefs don't end up cooking past 35, 40, they don't, but they always end up good in whatever avenue they go into because those skills of your mise en place and you're having everything lined up ready to go as part of your mise en place and, and having to make sure that you've communicated with all of your staff as to what you require them to do intricately with those, those are all transferable skills to whatever line of work you go into. Mm and and people become they become like you know like uh my old sous chef or you might remember at yeah so at he's now running a an auction AT house and BA, yeah yeah right. a, yeah 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 at and at AB. and ab yeah. we that's did that because he's andrew as well yeah um uh yeah but the, 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 he's now running an auction house yeah right. but um, i mean a few times ago when i spoke to him he was like you know like it's those skills he, he cooked for 20 30 years but the, all those skills are completely transferable so he's, he walks in there and he's like right we need to do this we need to do this, we need to do this. and he's, it's not rude he's just going we need to have this all ready to go in order to create, run this auction or whatever it is, you know, mm. and and all sorts of chefs go on to different things and those skills are 100% transferable. Yeah. And most jobs nowadays don't have the facilities to or the the uh, mechanics to teach people those jobs, whereas in a kitchen, if you don't have them, you're going to be in the weeds, you're going to be flooded, you know, you're going to have a, a shit service because you, you weren't ready for what you needed to do, or you're going to have staff who aren't adequately performing the task. Tasks you need to do because you haven't trained them properly, or you're going to have suppliers ring up saying, I'm not getting paid, where's my where's my and money? Yeah, uh, and because you, you don't effing, have your accounting. You come up with <laughs> we oh, have this chat at okay. the beginning of the podcast. You're your fluking money, <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. cool. You <laughs> don't have your fluking money, but you know, like, you, like and so you, your accounting has to be on point. So, all these skills, which we don't really think we have as chefs, are actually skills that are important in running, but like, chefs go on to quite often run really, really uh, uh, uh successful small businesses, you know. And there's a two sides of it because you have to be
0: creative but you also have to be practical yeah so that mise plus you're talking about which means in french preparation of food and equipment uh that actually sets you up so we can set our whole warehouse up based on that sort of theory of making sure that we can pack orders in the shortest term amount of turnaround time and get them in vehicles and all that sort of thing so that's where i've been up to, to grab onto a few of those skills as well and but then you gotta be creative about how you're doing business, how you're doing things, how you're communicating and encouraging your team. What a, what a thing, and particularly in the climate now, for chefs as well, always. where no one's turned up for work and the world's different. Mate, I how, think being a chef is team. a fantastic skill and I know that Scarlett's always admired it and probably not sure why, and hopefully you're a bit clearer on why why it is today because of the strict firm training that you have in that thing. Anyway, i get in a track. Tell me about your business.
1: Uh, my business is diverse to say the least Mm -hmm. so we do we do these shows that's how i make my bread and butter right so they allow me to do all the other stuff i love to do so the shows we travel around we do the shows we put on the back of house we help all the chefs and that's all pretty self explanatory right um we do a little bit of i I don't like the term catering because that kind of conjures up the image of you know you're getting deep fried spring rolls and stuff but we do a lot of uh almost like what al mcleod does up here kind of thing where we go in and we offer uh, as he lives and breathes. Yeah, oh, as he lives and breathes. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I love it. That's great. That's, that's an owl saying that one, isn't it? Um, as I live and breathe, Chef. <laughs> um, Graham Twain, as I live and breathe. That's him. I love him. He's a good man. Yeah, He's he one of my favorite yeah, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, look, we, 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 uh, where was I going? i got off track now. So we do a lot of what sorry. I call personalized uh, personalised catering, right? Yeah. So I get people. I don't advertise it. It's usually it's word of mouth you know, and, and usually just in, in sort of Melbourne and around that, that area where people will ring me up and say, can you come and cook for me? And what we do is we, we create, um, we start off, with we go, start off, we go and sit with them and we design a menu specifically based around what they want or who the, who the, the yeah. hero of the, the dinner party is, whatever. And then we, we go and hand source every ingredient. We go and forage a lot of the ingredients and then we charge them an earth. A, a hand and a, 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 an arm and a leg for it because that all costs a lot of money for me to perform and I don't end up making a lot of money out of it yeah, yeah. but I always say to them when I do the initial briefing when I say I'm probably going to be the most expensive caterer you get a quote off, but I'm I'm not a caterer you know I'm, I'm doing this because I want to do it because it's fun yeah. so because of the shows that's one example of the many different things that I do which are fun to do if that makes sense yeah. and that's you know we do the cooking competitions which lose money we do the little bit of catering which doesn't really make money so in a business you've got to make it equal out even out at the end so so we're at regional flavors
0: as we mentioned the guys are starting to come in and set up so i'll just ask you a quick couple more questions who's a rock
1: star at the moment in the chefing world in australia that's a hard question i i I hate to sound like a broken record because i know you've probably heard this a million times but i really like what josh is doing yeah oh yeah and I know that's that's everyone's saying and you know what I love about that you just said his first name and everyone knows who you're talking about absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, and you know I've only met him a few times and he's just such a gentleman and he's such as far as I'm concerned like when I have met him he's when we've had him on the show, so we had him, yeah. I think last time I, I worked with Josh was at Taste yeah. in Sydney, which was quite a few years ago when he was, I think he'd just launched the restaurant, or not long launched the restaurant, yeah. and he was just such a gentleman and so polite, and but at the same time, so precise about what he wanted on the plate, which is easy. I can work with precise, you know, yeah. precise is, yeah. I'm a details orientated person, yeah. you know, so precise is good. Um, who else? Uh, Joe is absolutely one of my yeah. food heroes. Yeah, yeah me The same yeah. thing, she's just, isn't she just like, she's polite, she's courteous, she's a fucking rock star on the plate. Like her yeah. food is just yeah. every time delicious. And she's concerned about the ingredients and, and, and our impact from those ingredients. And I mean, what's not to like about what she's doing? You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that's Matt as well for the same yeah. reason, yeah. you know? Uh, and, and you know, it's it, when they did the, the house in uh, yeah. uh, uh, Federation Square, you know, like yeah. just just love what they're doing. Um, and then I have immense respect for those, those really uh, classic i'm going on here but the word traditional though well no, no it's not that's the old word for these people no, no, yeah traditional was a bit of so the matt morans yeah you know, yeah like i yeah. have an immense respect oh, for that man and um, and like he we've worked with matt for many years since we started in the show he's one of the few chefs which has been on the show from beginning to end yeah um and 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 then there's obviously my one but it's yeah. obviously one of my favourite of all time chefs and that's Miguel, you know, like Miguel's a, a good friend and he's, I, we do all sorts of other gigs with Miguel where we say, oh, can you come up and give us a hand yeah. with this paella we're doing in Kalgoorlie. I'm yeah. not joking, that was one, right? We're yeah. doing a, a paella in the bottom of a hole in Kalgoorlie, So yeah. Oh, look, we're going to wrap up.
0: We're, we're going to be two more minutes. Uh, look, the thing about Miguel is he's lucky he can cook because no one can understand him. And <laughs> Matt Moran is um, an amazing person who can get stuff on the plate. He ran into my mother-in-law recently, and she'd become a groupie, and they're at the farm picking up lots of things. Nice. And um, Yeah, so he's been really, you know, hospitable. You know, what's the word? I'm hospitable. Little, that's the one, yeah. Uh, we'll let these guys sit up. Mate, it's absolutely pleasure to talk to you. You are a true rock star of the industry, a great example. Where can
1: people follow you, find you? What can uh, they Andrew Bellard at Andrew Bellard Chef. Right. So that's, we've just rebranded everything to, because what we do is so diverse that we just sort of, let's just give it one name and I say, I feel terrible saying it, right? I feel like I've it's like, it's almost like, yeah, uh, I'm being a bit of a tosser. But you know, hey, that's what we rebranded it, at Andrew Bellard Chef, so. Uh, no, it's not, just hold that stuff. You're, you're amazing, man. It's a real- yeah, And back real, at you. Yeah. You know oh, you know you. the you know the immense respect I have for what yeah, you do yeah. and how you do it and yeah. how you, you know, there's a reason why when Noma came, they, they okay. wanted the, to be on the Grand, grand Twine. Great bandwagon.
0: twine bandwagon. <laughs> we're, we're gonna go and have a cuddle. Yes, we just get a room. I've got a room out the back here, Sheffi. <laughs> okay, well thank you very much for being on the broadcast. Thank you. My, absolutely my pleasure. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Mm-hmm.